Hello, my name is Maurice Gravier. I am Chief Investment Officer at Emirates NBD. Our mission at the CIO office is to provide you with the best investment strategy and solutions. In today's video, I will focus on the big picture. Welcome to the media update of our global investment outlook. Back in January, it was titled Low Visibility Ahead. Between surging inflation, decelerating growth, and the beginning of the end of magic money, we had more questions than answers for 2022. Our key message was to get ready for pretty much anything and to be more reactive than proactive. Well, so far, a lot has happened. The war in Ukraine amplifies inflation, especially through commodities, but also pressures growth, especially through sanctions. If it wasn't enough, a broad and severe COVID outbreak in China added pressure to the global supply chain. As a result, growth is decelerating, but inflation isn't normalizing at all. It's still rising, pushing central banks to become ballistic in fighting it, whatever it takes. It's an important point. Without inflation for decades, central banks used to be markets' best friends, supporting employment, growth, and financial stability. What's not to like? It has changed. Consumer pricing are skyrocketing like in the 80s. And as the Fed chairman Powell said it, the fight against inflation is unconditional. It means it is their absolute priority even if it has a cost. The result is that central banks are not market friendly anymore. They aggressively raise interest rates and withdraw magic money. From an investment perspective, it's a terrible situation. Higher interest rates directly impact bonds, but also equity valuation multiples. These multiples apply to earnings, which are questioned by the growth scare. As a result, everything is correlated. There is no diversification benefit, and basically everything goes down at the same time. So far, 2022 is a crash of everything with both stocks and bonds down between 15 and 20%. Our positioning was relatively cautious, but frankly, there was nowhere to hide. So what's next? Let's start with the bad news. Global inflation is not coming down because of the war in Ukraine, a booming job market in the US, and overall high demand meeting constraints supply. Central banks can't do anything about supply. They cannot stop the war or restart a factory. All they can do is pressure demand. They want activity to slow down, the job market to cool down, and even they are not unhappy to see lower asset prices because it reduces wealth and they hope consumption. Their only tool is to make money more expensive. And the true bad news is that they will continue to do so until they see what they want, a material improvement on inflation. The longer it lasts, the greater the pain on the economy and on markets. Now, the good news. There are three. First, inflation. Between base effects and central banks tightening, it should start to normalize. We will probably not come back to the 2% we were used to for a variety of reasons, including the fact that globalization is shrinking. However, the current 8% is certainly a peak. It should halve in the coming quarters and central banks should take note. Second, the economy. Yes, the risk of recession is material, but it's not certain. And should it happen, it should be a mild one. 
First activity has been extremely resilient. Second, unemployment is low. Third, corporate balance sheets are healthy, including banks, and even China is restarting. Now, should a recession happen, the policy responses would change, and this is what matters the most for markets currently. Anyway, with the stellar levels of debt currently in the system, there is a limit to what central banks can tolerate in terms of interest rates. The ECB has recently started to be more nuanced because of surging peripheral spreads. A bit of inflation is certainly preferable for them than a global sovereign crisis. Third good news, and very importantly, valuations have become much more reasonable. Stocks are cheap in emerging markets and accessible in developed markets, which at least price in the economic risks correctly. Yields on quality bonds are becoming compelling again, especially if we think, like we do, that inflation should ultimately abate. From a fundamental point of view, and for the medium term, we see upside potential in both stocks and bonds, and my colleagues will be more specific. I could have mentioned a fourth good news, which is that investors' sentiment is at record levels of pessimism, yes, comparable to the trough of 2000 and 2008. It means that markets are not ready for good news. The issue is that we have no clue about the timing of the true catalyst for a sustainable rebound, which is, again, an improvement on inflation. It could be in Q4, it could be later, in the meantime, volatility will remain brutal with sell-offs and rallies. So we have two messages for the rest of the year. First, expect extreme volatility to continue in the coming months. Please don't engage in short-term speculation or excessive leverage. It is very dangerous. Second message for the medium term under our central scenario, our view is reasonably constructive because risks are correctly priced in. Now let's switch to asset classes, starting with 2022's hottest fixed income. Over to you, Satya. Thanks, Morris. Hello, I'm Satya. I'm the head of fixed income strategy. And in this video, we'll focus on how to navigate the rough seas of fixed income markets. Fixed income investors have had a very rough start to the year. There has been no place for refuse. On the one end, developed market sovereign bonds are down 8% YTD. And on the other end, emerging market sovereign bonds are down 19%. All the other segments are somewhere in between. So as a fixed income investor, if you have lost only 10% YTD, you should pack yourself on the back for the job well done. Now, the million dollar question is, where do we go from here? To answer the question, let's analyze the background first. First of all, Fed should be congratulated for a job well done in terms of communicating. Before every rate hike, the markets knew well in advance what to expect. Despite a 75 bips rate hike in the June FOMC meeting, there has been no unruly behavior in the yields. But that means markets can become complacent. So what are the risks that are not priced in? What happens if Fed is not able to rein its inflation numbers down? And what happens if Bank of Japan abandons its yield curve control and allows the 10-year Japanese government bond yields to cross 0.25%. At that time, we would see another leg up in the yields. And that means disaster for fixed income 
investments and bond investors. Now, given these two tail risks, the consensus market view is that most of the rate hikes seem to be priced in. If we take that as our base case, it seems we are at the fag end of duration risks. But are we out of the woods yet? Is the second half going to be better than first half for fixed income returns? We were somewhere in between. Why? Because we think we are gradually going into a heightened credit risk scenario. What does that mean? Increasing rates means a hit to the bottom lines of the issuers in terms of increased funding cost. If demands come down, that decreases the top line of the issuers. That means coverage and leverage indicators for most of the high yield issuers will be under pressure. And we might see a spate of rating downgrades and bankruptcies increasing. That means you will see high yield spreads blow out from current levels. Now, given this background, there is a playbook which is well established to navigate such scenarios. So what should you avoid? Avoid adding beta risk in high yield. Avoid taking excess leverage because the cost of leverage is going to increase faster than the income of your bonds. But what do we like? First of all, our advice is to stay up in quality. That means go for developed market investment grade bonds, which have a duration of three to five years. What we have seen in the past is that whenever a 12 month change in 10 year yields are peaked post six months and 12 months after that, investment grade bonds typically outperform their high yield counterparts. And that should be the trend this year as well. Secondly, if you want yields, double B rated high yield issuers are the way to go. What we have seen in the past is that any portfolio that is exposed to non-distressed short duration high yield issuers performs much better than portfolios which have broader high yield market risk in them. Thirdly, we think that subordinated debt is mispriced because of the increasing rates and the slow growth scenarios, subordinated debt, even from the strongest issuers have corrected in line with credit, basically because of the high beta. But you have to see that developed market IG banks are not a problem. Lots of stress states actually indicate that banks have very strong capitalization ratios and very healthy balance sheets. So if investors want yields, then they can go for subordinated debt from IG banks in developed markets. And that will entail also low duration risk because we do not see a lot of extension risk in these bonds. Lastly, coming to emerging market debt, we think the cycle is not favorable because the slower growth down and increasing rates in developed markets means institutional investors pull out money from emerging market debt. So why do we see opportunities in emerging market debt? There are three or four key areas that we focus on. First of all, Asia investment grade debt, five to seven year maturity bonds, GCC high yield oil exporters, and again, subordinated debt from the champion financial institutions from the GCC region. As predicted, GCC has been the outperforming bond class within emerging market debt. They have beat emerging market debt by almost five and a half to 6% YTD and this outperformance would be there till the end of the year, supported by high oil prices. But do not forget the US treasuries. Whenever 10-year treasury yields cross 3.5%, would advise you 
ardent real portfolio similarly floating rate investment rate options should be part of the portfolio they will act as live ports if any of the two risks that we have said which are not yet priced in come true in summary to safely navigate these rough seas of fixed income markets you have to deliver your portfolios to comfortable levels and load up on quality strong credits all the best and safe investing thank you odimers Thank you, Satya. It's definitely a complicated picture for fixed income, but not only. It's the same issue for equities. Now we'll deep dive with Anita. Over to you. Thank you, Maurice. I'm Anita Krishna Gupta, and I've been working in the investment arena for over thirty years. And yes, it can rightly be called an arena. I'm here to talk about our investment strategy in global equities today. Global equities have fallen fifteen to twenty percent in the first half of this year. One of the worst performances in. decades the only positive performance we have seen is from commodity exporters such as the ue and the ksa and the energy sector we started 2022 on elevated valuations post 3 years of stellar global equity returns what we are now seeing is an accelerated central bank tightening cycle driven by inflation which has been caused by the russia ukraine conflict and runaway energy and food prices what we are also seeing is supply chains which are constrained by china's zero covid policy and the continuing lockdowns 2021 saw record economic and profit growth and this has also been continued into quarter 1 of 2022 our expectation for earnings growth for 2022 stays constant at between 8 to 10% however we are starting having doubts about profitability growing in 2023 If you look at the last 25 years we have seen three major equity drawdowns or bear markets 2000 saw the dot com bust which was driven by internet companies that had no assets 2008 saw the global financial crisis which was driven by over leveraging by both individuals and corporates 2022 has seen a cyclical bear market with fears of a global recession yet to be timed but definitely worrying investors however in these 25 years we have also seen equities go up by 7% per annum and the technology sector go up by 10% per annum the same investment style does not always work and this year we have seen the value factor outperform the denominator for calculating the present value of companies is the 10 year treasury yield and with that trading over 3% we have seen high growth sectors such as technology sell off what we have also seen is a flight to quality as unprofitable technology companies have fallen 70 to 80% and some of the covid winners which had rallied 3 to 400% are now back to pre covid levels valuations are also trending lower typical in a higher rate regime today global equities are well below long term averages The S&P 500 is trading at 17 times forward earnings and emerging markets at just a little bit over 11 times forward earnings. What do we expect for the rest of the year? We expect that in the summer we are going to see continued drawdowns and rallies. Also whilst lower valuations and the derating led to the drawdown we have seen in the first half of the year, today profit growth is now coming into question. Margins are under pressure. not only from cost inputs but also higher wages companies are guiding 
and over 80% of S&P 500 companies in Q1 talked about inflation. Walmart and Target, which have been bellwethers for the equity market, had their stock prices fall 30% when they spoke of higher inventories. How should we position for the rest of the year? Are fair values predicate muted performance going into the end of the year? We look at the eight major regional markets and we find that we still see some upside. Where would we invest? Within developed markets, we like the US because it is more immune to what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, and it is not oil dependent externally. We like the UK because it has a commodity heavy index. Within emerging markets, we like the UAE. The market is broadening as new IPOs come up. These companies pay high dividends. Also, it has got a straight beta to the oil prices, which remain high. The opportunities that we get today to invest in quality corporates and those with very consistent cash flows and those whose margins can weather higher inflation. And that's where we want to be. The trends of the future remain important and healthcare as individuals continue to focus on well-being and governments focus on an aging population and also prevention. Technology trends are, however, changing. Streaming is no longer a darling. The Netflix share has fallen over 70% this year. Not only because there are new incumbents such as Apple, Disney and Amazon, but there are also many free-to-watch entertainment channels including TikTok and YouTube. However, many technology sectors still give you exponential growth, whether it be e-commerce, cybersecurity, the cloud, uh, data mining. Also, what we are seeing in technology is that valuations do matter. The best defensive strategy in an inflationary environment is to invest in companies which have strong and growing dividends. Also have a robust diversified portfolio as we see the equity rally resume, as we see inflationary pressures subside and the rate cycle peak. Thank you and back to you, Maurice. Thank you, Anita, for this comprehensive picture 